Anyaseo, welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everyone. Hello. It's usually Leah who says the hey, everybody, and I feel a little bit off tonight because we don't have Leah tonight because Leah is enjoying a much-deserved girls' weekend in Vegas, Uh, but we do have a very special guest with us tonight, one of our listeners and one of our very avid K-drama watchers, Sarah, who way, way back when we hit our first 5K downloads, we did a bunch of different giveaways, and Sarah won a guest spot on the pod and we're so excited to have her here tonight and just to give like a huge thank you to you all for for hitting that download button we are approaching 20,000 downloads of our podcast and I could not be more grateful for what y'all are doing listening and just keeping us going because we love doing what we do and we love that you're along for the ride with us but enough about that let's hear from Sarah who's going to tell us all about herself, and her love of K-dramas. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. So if I get a bit, like, overexcited and fangirly, please try and excuse me. But yeah, hi, everyone. So I'm Sarah John Johnson. Um, and if you can't tell already yet, my accent is British. I'm recording this from uh, Cambridge, UK. And a little bit about me, I'm a mum of two young kids, and I work part-time here for the University of Cambridge. But I'm also an elected local politician for the Liberal Democrats, which are a small third party in the UK politics. And I said, like I said, I'm a fangirl, and I feel like this is a bit meta, because you guys are like fangirls of K-drama, and I'm a fangirl of this podcast. And I feel like I'm representing like other fangirls of this party who'd <laughs> really love to be where I am now and be guest hosting with you guys. So it's a shame we're missing Leah, but uh, it sounds like she's living it up in Las Vegas. But it's really, really, really great that I'm here, that, that I'm here with you. And also I'm a Patreon supporter of the of the pod in the big drone energy level. And I've really found <laughs> the little community that's building on there, like, so much fun. And really love hearing what everyone else is watching and picking up recommendations for next watches. So I would really recommend anybody who's out there that wants to have a little bit more K-drama fangirl love in their life, to come and um, support and, and join the pod uh, uh, and join the patron there. So I have some real life K drama friends and shout out to Amy and Ami. But for the next level of geekdom, patron is like absolutely where it's at because they are not as obsessed as I am and they find me a bit freaky. So um, for that, if you've got that in your life, then then the patron's where it's at. So a little bit more about me. I'm British born Chinese. Uh, so my parents are from Hong Kong and I speak Cantonese and Mandarin, though I've yet to watch a C drama. I really should. I really should watch a scene drama. Um, <laughs> but um, I keep finding like more K-dramas I want to watch. But anyway, I grew up watching Hong Kong dramas with my parents. And um, similar to, to Grace, who's on our Patreon, and she was talking about how she used to watch K-dramas with her family. Uh, and she used to get them via VHS tapes in a grocery store, same as I did. It's so random. But that's how we grew up, like those of us who are kind of Asian minorities in, 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 in countries to, to get our indigenous dramas from VHS tapes. Um, but I've discovered that Hong Kong movies are quite influential on, on Korean culture um, and they're referenced a lot in K-dramas. So like, for example, Goblin's nephew, Yu Do Kwa, is actually named after a famous Hong Kong actor, Dr. Um, who was in Internal Affairs, so one of the two main stars. 
and and Hong Kong dramas are quite similar to K dramas in their terms of length, like how they have old school tropes like amnesia and parents paying off poor girls and things like that. So I have came into K drama with an understanding of Asian dramas, but I actually had a similar journey to you guys in that uh, my gateway drama was Crash Landing on You, and I think similar to you, Amy. I finished it and I had this crazy hangover for days. I was like moping around going like, I just want to be back in that world with Captain Ree and the Tunnel of Love. And, and I couldn't get over it. And I was playing the, the original soundtrack over and over again. And I was watching like movies on YouTube. And then I was like, right, so I've got to rewatch it again because I think this is the only way I'm going to get it out of my system. So it was a straight rewatch for me. But then um, I found you guys in this this podcast and I knew I found my space because you, you took two episodes to talk about Gila. Like it was that good. Like you loved it that much. <laughs> we did. <laughs> you were singing Michael Learns to Rock. And, uh, and I was just like making me laugh so much and talking about mole hair and obviously crushing hard on Park or Gila. It's like my crush, my big crush. And I've been a fan like ever since of the podcast. And then it just just so good to hear all your different views like I think I especially like it when you kind of slightly disagree with each other on main dramas so like on Mr Queen I was with Leah like I know you I was guys- just gonna say Mr Queen oh. yeah <laughs> and I was like Leah I love it so much and you guys were like yeah I'm not feeling the love story and I'm like no but then in Goblin I'm with Megan I'm like yeah uh, I need more adult you attack uh and then although you haven't done a, a, a K-drama I know Amy you've spoken about it on Patreon but um you're not a big fan of like the descendants of the sun for me it's just quite overhyped and I just really didn't get the main the main couple so yeah I was gonna say Megan hasn't watched that one yet so we're we're waiting to see if Megan gets that one and see what her reaction is but Lee and I definitely had very different reactions on Descendants yeah it's interesting because I had the same thing with my real life K-drama fans they absolutely love it and they were just picking it up and it was a drama that I watched after Gila which is already a challenge but I read it and I was like really you guys seriously (laughs) this is like my not either and then um but I also wanted to make a, a point because obviously I'm an East Asian woman so there's part of me that's trying to not justify like how awesome that is this that we're having this podcast but actually it is quite powerful to ride the whole new wave as you always say in your intro because I think this the, the power of K-dramas and and hopefully the catalyst of the massive success of the Squid Game um I think it will, will actually hopefully in small ways help some sociological and cultural changes because for Asians and here I mean East and Southeast Asians because I think that's what America uses for Asians right because for us Brits Asian usually means um, South Asian from the Indian subcontinent but we've all um, regardless of being in America or in Britain or wherever have had a particularly tough time with COVID related hate crime on top of the usual long-running kind of anti-Asian racism that all of us have to deal with those of us who grew up as Asian in majority white countries but I think and I hope that K-drama will make us more visible in a positive way. So in the States, the Asian community is well known as being a model minority. And in the UK, I like to call us the invisible minority because we're in every village running a takeaway, but we're just completely absent from mainstream media. And Asian guys in particular have had it, I'd say, especially hard because they've been pretty asexualized over the years. Like if you think about the math nerd and the geek, and they're always the secondary side question, uh, characters. I mean, Asian girls have been eroticized in another way, and that's a whole other topic. But can you guys, for example, can you name me like a movie where like the Asian guy is the main lead? I mean, other than Crazy Rich Asians, right? Oh, like, w- right? Like, I know, and and I'm I'm hoping, like, what you're saying is that this is going to be a catalyst to getting more of seeing 
minorities in main roles and people being people who are considered minorities in, you know, a predominantly white country to see themselves on screen because that's super important. Exactly. Yeah. When I think about how like we grew up (laughs) uh, with 16 candles, which yes, is like a beloved movie, but the Asian, am I saying the right you are. No, I'm, I'm shaking my head that like it does not. Oh, it does not my hold God. up. Right. It does not oh, hold up. Oh, my God. You look back at that movie now and it's so freaking offensive to the Asian male character. I mean, he is a caricature. He's oh, a of joke. Course. Yes. His absolutely. whole existence is a joke. And it's really offensive. Like, you know, like I said, you, you look back and it doesn't hold up. And I really think like, yeah, we just don't have a lot of like Asian male roles. And if they are, they have to be like fighters. Like they have to be like doing like karate or mutai or whatever you know what i mean i feel like the walking dead with steven yun was like one of the first male leads where he was asian but he wasn't like he he had like characterization and honestly like sorry to spoil walking dead but when they killed glenn i was over it okay they didn't do him justice he was fantastic but they actually gave him like a romance you know like he had the best romance of the show but again that was like i can name one thing you know what i mean the rest usually the Asian male characters just don't get any sort of deep characterization, I guess I would say. Yeah. And and I think it's changing. We've, you know, we've only just in 2021, guys, had our first ever Asian Hollywood superhero in Shang-Chi. And hopefully soon we'll have Park Sejun in uh, the next Marvel Girl movie, right? Uh, so that's coming up. And then um, one of my favourite contemporary romances, The Kiss Quotient by Helen Wong. The, the writing script has has, has been uh, act, uh, auctioned, what did I say? It's been auctioned. So it may make it onto the big screen. Obviously, the main character in that book is mixed race, Vietnamese and white. So anyway, all of that to say, hopefully having Korean screenwriters who are writing women that are powerful, have agency, kind of goes a long way to overturning this Confucian patriarchal cultural tradition that many of us Asians live with. And so I think we all have a job to help make K-dramas even more mainstream because there are so many benefits to this as a wider cultural phenomenon. And kids, like my kids, with a mixed race themselves, can see true representation. And we have it now with pop groups because like BTS and Blackpink, like my my little girl can see singers that look like her. Um, But I want them to continue to see themselves on big and little screens too. So um, thank you for the work that you guys are doing on the podcast. It might be like I know you started it as a, as a hobby, but I just think there are wider ripples out there for all of us that are out here sharing our love for kid drama. I mean, thank yeah. you for saying that. It absolutely yeah. warms my heart that that you're getting that from us. And we hope that what we're showing is an appreciation for a medium that is, I think, important in so many ways, in so much different representation. And I do just want to toss out there, we were talking before the pod started that um, my daughter is turning 16 tomorrow and she's having a few friends over for her, you know, small little sweet 16 party. And our party is going to be watching Shang-Chi because it drops on Disney Plus tomorrow. So that's our, that's our party. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Right, cool. Um, and then if I can also just add a little plug, um, I'm on Instagram on Kdrama This, at Kdrama This. So if you want to follow me, uh, I try and do uh, reviews and I'm also fangirling over the Instagram account and keeping the ear up at night with my with my, <laughs> my direct messages. But yeah, feel free to, to follow me on that. Thank you. Yeah, you absolutely should follow her, everybody, because first of all, because she stays up so late watching so many K dramas, she's got new reviews like more than once a week. 
I would say. And they're good and insightful and making me add more, you know, dramas to my list that I haven't seen yet. So you absolutely want to follow at K Drama This. And we will put it in the show notes as well so that you don't miss it. Thank you. I second that as well. I love reading her reviews. Even if I don't like sometimes like she has a drama that she didn't like or she really liked and like sometimes like our opinions don't jive, but I love hearing what she has to say. Like I want to know, well what why didn't it work for her? Right. But it worked for me because it's always going to be different and just, you know, that's the way it is. But uh so I really really love her reviews, so yeah, please follow her. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we are here to talk today about Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha, which is, is or isn't a fun name to say. I don't know. It's a mouthful. We love the drama. We don't like having to say it all the time. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're really excited to talk about it. So I'm just going to give like a quick little intro without being um, super spoilery or anything like that. We will always let you know when we're going to be doing spoilers. But in case you have not watched Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha or HCCC yet, here's a little bit about it. So when a big-time dentist with even bigger-time integrity loses her cushy job in Seoul, she finds herself on the beach of a small town she visited as a child, Gongjin, honoring her late mother's memory and losing a Carrie Bradshaw-level stiletto to the tide. For real. Yoon Hai-jin, played by Shin Min-na, buys herself a pair of shoes to quote-unquote celebrate getting fired. But they aren't just any shoes. I looked these up, folks. And this is a French name, so I'm going to do my best to say it. I mean, it's they're Roger Vivier pumps that will set you back about 1,600 euro or 1,700 bucks, over 1,700 bucks. And while the shoe is saved by Gongjin's everyman douchek, he legit holds just about every job in town. Hyjin earned the money to buy the shoes in the first place. So no, folks, this isn't your typical Cinderella story, despite our heroine losing her shoe and for the better part of a day having to beg, borrow, and clean a squid or two to earn her keep. This is the story of a strong heroine, afraid to let down her emotional walls, a hero who's borne the weight of tragedy in silence and solitude, and the small town cast of characters who show us all that love and healing are possible, but only when we let ourselves be vulnerable enough to open our hearts rather than shut everyone out. Welcome to our deep dive on the Shin Min and Kim Sun Ho romance, Hometown Cha Cha Cha. Excuse me, that was an excellent summary, Amy. Great job. <laughs> I love Thank you. that. Thank you. <laughs> I was so into the shoes. <laughs> I didn't know about this. I, I knew they were expensive, but like I didn't know. Before. I had to look it up because I'm like, are these? I just like I just googled. I'm like, are these? You know, because they don't say what she spent on them, right? But like her friends, like you know, nice, you know, nice gift for getting fired, kind of thing. And so I'm like, well, what did these really set her back? And like I have spent at most a couple hundred bucks on a pair of shoes. And it's usually boots, like something that is you know a little bit more heavy duty and. I mean, I'm not saying I need like a two, three hundred dollar pair of boots, but like that's usually where it comes from. I never, I don't wear high heels because I am not, I am not poised enough to walk around in them. Plus, I live in a very snowy state, and they're just not practical. But I was really interested to see what kind of shoes they were, and it, it kind of gave me the feel of like you know, a Sex in the City, Carrie Bradshaw. She always had her Jimmy Choo's or Louboutins or you know something like that, and yeah, there were that was a hefty price tag for a pair of pumps. I mean, I, I got to be honest, I guess she spent like $500 on a really nice pair of heels so that I'm really blown away at over $1,700. Like, I should be a dentist, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. A fire so this is the non-spoiler section. Uh, we'll let you know when we get into spoilers. But for now, we're just going to talk more in general terms about the, the drama. 
So before we get started, really, on the nitty gritty, let's talk small town dramas. Are they your go to? Do you prefer city set dramas or does setting not matter as long as there is a good story? Uh, so for me, um, I'm pretty agnostic settings wise. I just love a really good story, but especially a really good rom-com. And I think this one does both the rom and the com so well. In K-dramas, I love a good squad. And I think Hometown has great squad game. The How Many <laughs> Grandma squad game is strong. I love those three together. The Villager squad game is strong. And we even get a future love story from the little kids, Bora and Ethan, who totally need their own future K-drama together. I love that the squad game is strong. It so <laughs> is. I love that so much. Me too. Uh, and I would 100% watch Bo Ra and Ajun future love story in a heartbeat. They were so freaking cute. I just loved how she was so like gregarious and like even a little bit of a troublemaker. But then she fiercely loved her friend and Ijun was just a little bit calmer and logical. Like they would have made a, per- they make a perfect team, even as friends. So as I just hope they stay in each other's lives. That's, you know, that's all I care about. So I would say what's funny is I don't actually enjoy small town romance books. And books, sometimes it feels like there are too many characters to keep track of, which is definitely a me problem. Like, <laughs> I think small town romance books are great. I just like have trouble. But I really love um, small town romance shows like Camellia and H, you know, Hometown Cha Cha Cha. Um, and I think it's because of what Sarah said. I love the squad game. Like that is that's fantastic. And I feel like there is a vibe to small town romances that really make me feel like I have dropped in on their lives for the duration of the drama. And then like when I pop back out, they're still going to be doing their thing. And I feel like that seems very unique to small town romances in a way that I often don't get in a big city setting. Yeah, I agree with that. I I feel like I can imagine that they're still there in Gungjin, having their communal meals and being all, you know, yeah, happy. Yeah. It so is, in that like, coffee shop where no one is ever sitting. No one's ever there. <laughs> I don't know how he stays in business, but it, it works. It works. Yeah. But I mean, so I'm I'm sitting here drinking my my coffee in my I don't in my Luke's mug, my my Gilmore Girls um, mug. And so obviously, I do like a, I do like a small town romance show. I write small town romance, and I I don't think I normally would gravitate towards it because of the small town aspect of it. But then I keep finding myself every time I do watch a small town drama, I love that family feel of the town. You know, some people, some people don't like the idea of everybody being up in everybody else's business, but I love, especially in this one where everybody is like a found family. Everybody is there for everybody else. Even if it's somebody that you don't like very much, you still have their back because they are part of the town. And in this drama in particular, I think of all the ones that we've watched, like I loved Camellia, but I think Hometown Cha Cha Cha, I think Gong Jin had even a bigger family feel than Camellia did. And it was just like, you knew that nobody was going to let you get hurt in any way, shape, or form, whether it was physically, emotionally, whatever, that everybody was going to be there for you at some point or another. And it it totally held that it held true, like the entire drama. And I love that about it. I agree. Speaking of small towns, without giving any specific spoilers for Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha, do these dramas work better if there is a high stakes external threat, like say a murderer or a kidnapper, or can they work just fine on their own with just the small town romance and side character stories? Um, so for me as a romance reader, 
I love a drama that is just romance and uh, that has more internal conflict that the writer can explore. Uh, but I would say that not every writer can pull this off. So I think, for example, in What's Wrong with Secretary Kim, this kind of pieced out and you guys have this in your podcast. But I think the writer really nailed the pacing for this drama for me. But I'll talk about it more in the spoiler section. Um, but that said, I do love a romance and a mystery, like way more than I realised. That's one of the things that I discovered in K-drama. I actually really love a serial killer in the middle of a romance. But I am actually a massive crime fan, so I like it done well. Um, so it kind of bugs me a lot if it's not done so quite quite so well. So I think Camille didn't quite manage it for me. I think the serial killer was just a bit not kind of fleshed out enough. Um, but um, suspicious partner, savvy middle aside, I think really nailed it because the, the the serial killer in that is just such a real character and he had a real arc. Oh, 100% about Suspicious Partner. And just to plug our own podcast on our podcast, if you have not listened to our Suspicious Partner deep dive, uh, we recommend it. it. We do love the villain a lot. He's fantastic. And I do agree. There was like a saggy middle, but the external like yeah. serial killer plot was really well done. He was such a good villain that we wouldn't even talk about him in our favorite villains episode because we didn't want to spoil him because he's such a good villain. Yeah, we're like, just watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We only spoiled him in uh, Suspicious. In Suspicious in actual, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I would say normally I do really prefer a big external plot. I think I'm like kind of simple sometimes <laughs> in my <laughs> storytelling. Like, just give Stop me being so down on yourself. Like, you play. <laughs> I know, like, but... <laughs> like but you talk I'm about so... the small town romance, you're like, that's on me. And I'm a little <laughs> simple. Like... <laughs> Well, whatever. But, you know, I think the the kind of like the weaving of those like massive um, external plots is one of the reasons I fell in love with K-dramas because that's I, I, like Chloe was my first crash landing on you. And it was just amazing, the plotting of that drama. But um, like Sarah, I found that I really enjoyed the pacing of Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha, which I will also talk about later because it really followed all the romance beats that I'm familiar with. And so I was okay without this, you know, massive external plot because the romance was so well done and there were so many really great cohesive storylines among all the townspeople and the characters were so well fleshed out that their internal conflicts were, you know, enough to to carry me through. And and frankly, it was really refreshing to just watch a drama that was like, this is a rom-com. You are getting a rom-com. We're going to do it. We're not going to try to be something else. And they did it right, in my opinion. And we still had like, you know, like internal emotional wounds and you know backstories and stuff like that but it was all mm -hmm. internal and it still mm -hmm. totally worked and i i will you know add on to what sarah was saying like i did not know that i loved a good serial killer plot with my romances until i started watching k-dramas but i i really do and that did it stood out for me in suspicious partner and then flower of evil oh my gosh mm -hmm. flower of evil like still one of my top five but but i don't need it all the time like you said sarah when it's done well it's really good. But in this, I loved that it was just the romance that was the story. It was Hyjin and Dushik's romance that was the story for like some other people too, which I thought was kind of cool. Like a lot of people, you know, because they were the town gossip. So a lot of people are always talking about them and they were relating about them. And so they were, you know, everybody else, everybody had their own stories, but 
their essential romance was also part of everybody else's stories. And it just worked so well. And you're right. The pacing was just spot on. We talked about it in What's Wrong with Sector Kim, and I'll bring it up again. I loved that drama. I loved the chemistry between the leads, but I could have been done with the drama at episode 12 because everything had been resolved by then. And that's okay, except that it kept going for four more episodes. (laughs) So, you know, I mean... Pacing is huge and that takes a lot as a writer and you learn it as you go and it's pretty impressive. And I, I bring this up. I'm not even sure which question I bring this up in probably soon, but I bring this up that this is the screenwriter's first romantic full 16 episode drama and she knocked it out of the park, I think. Yeah. Oh, totally agree. It is literally my next question. So. Yeah, <laughs> it did felt it did felt written by an experienced plotter to be honest or an inexperienced honestly romance writer yeah i'm gonna assume she reads romance books honestly (laughs) because it really felt like that for me but yeah i'll actually go into the next question so as amy said this is screenwriter shin haun's only second full drama that she's written the first 16 episode drama being 2019's the crowned clown which was a historical so this is truly her first 16 episode contemporary romance drama from a story aspect and since we're all romance lovers here did you enjoy how the drama leaned hard on the romance part of the story not only between hey jin and chief hong or Dusik, but also the many side relationships and i'd go so far as to say a bit of a romance between the viewer and the town of gongjin itself Definitely, for me, the joy of this drama was discovering the layers to Heijin and to Hongbanjang and watching them grow, liking the best romances into different but better versions of themselves through the power of their love for each other and the love from their community. Um, and I thought the side character stories were just spot on. I absolutely loved Heijin's BFF, Misun. I thought she had some of the best lines in the drama. I just loved how direct her character was, but also kind of kooky. And obviously we have then Korea's favourite granny, Kim Yong-up, playing uh, Gamri the granny. And I also loved the single dad-teenage girl relationship. I thought that some of their scenes were the funniest in the drama. Um, and it's a, it's a relationship I haven't really seen portrayed in, in K-drama yet. And I just thought it was... I just think they really nailed that kind of like total disrespect that teenage girls have. <laughs> like, <laughs> sometimes it really, really made me laugh. And I will say that the drama for me grew on me, like Gung Jin did for, for Hei Jin, because I wasn't actually really that sold for the first half of the drama. I kept wanting to love it more than I actually did. And I thought it'd end up being one of those, like, mm, it was okay, but middle ranking K dramas. But then, boom, episode 11, right? You guys always nail it. Episode 11. It really hit its stride and into went into what I feel is then more of the internal conflict of the story. And oh, that last set from 11 to the end, I was just sold. It was just such a good drama. Leah had kind of warned me. She was like, I, you know, I wasn't really into the first few episodes, so give it time. And I was like, OK. But I would say like from episode one, I loved I love the heroine. I love Taejin. I was I was into it. I like lo- I am always a sucker for like big city girl moving to like a small town. I don't know why. Like I can't. I will always like that. So yeah, but I I but I will admit I didn't necessarily love Gong Jin for a little bit. Like it felt because again they're like they're like a tight knit uh, group and Taejin was still like the outsider. Um, so what I found was interesting about the drama is so the beginning is largely in Heijin's perspective and she's not really loving Gong Jin right away at least not as a place to actually live 
and it was a little rough on her on her first day there. So that's our perspective of Gong Jin. So Mean might not love it right away too, but I really felt like as she fell in love with Gong Jin, so did we. Like we really kind of fell with her. Um, and I thought that that was really neat. And it was kind of a testament to the cast, the writing, and probably especially Hei Jin. Or I'm sorry, Shin Mina, the, the the actress. And as far as the romance, you know, I adored it. I, I mean, I don't know why I've been like sort of nervous that K-dramas might be getting away from like the solid romances maybe because squid game was so popular and that's like not the romance k-drama field so i was like a little i don't know it just makes me a little nervous because that's one thing that i think k-dramas do so well and is what makes them unique from like basically any other form of of media but this one just leaned into the romance you know all the beats the cute couple things the dialogue and like i said before the drama didn't try to pretend to be something else it was like, we're this adorable romance and you're going to love it. And I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I've already, I've already answered this, like talking about my love of, you know, of small town romance in general, but what I, yeah, what I do love is that, I mean, we get this in, in K drama all the time where, you know, we see things from one person's perspective, you know, like Heijin's like first day in Gongjin and we see it all from her perspective. And then you get that little thing at the end where you see Dushik and how he's been watching her the entire day and you know that the even though he's you know kind of shrugging her off and putting up those emotional walls that you know that he's been into her since the second he saw her while he was floating out on his surfboard where there were no waves to surf on <laughs> the lake he was surfing <laughs> the lake on, he which, was surfing I mean, on. It, it's funny like you know just to bring this up really quick and like when we were watching the drama that it drove Leah it drove Leah crazy but Leah lives you know on the coast in California and she sees surfing all the time. Whereas Megan and I are like, eh, he's on a surfboard in some calm water. Like who cares? Like it didn't. Leo was like, I was so irritated. <laughs> but yeah, that. I mean, just the fact that, and, and that's one of the things that I love about the way K drama does romance is that even though the story is very much in one perspective to start that you get that little fat flash of the other perspective and see what you missed the entire 45 minutes before and how much it makes it even sweeter to see that other perspective and to see what that other person has been thinking. And I think that's one of the hallmarks of K-drama writing and pacing and the way that they, you know, that they direct each episode is you get that little sort of you get that little sort of like oomph at the end where it's even sweeter than you thought it was. And I love that we had a whole drama that did just that. Yeah. Oh yeah. When she was like cleaning the squid or, or whatever. And this is the very beginning. So it's not like a spoiler, but she's cleaning the squid and, and he's very annoyed with her, you know, that whole first episode or he acts like it, but then, you know, they show at the very end that he's watching her clean the squid and she's laughing with, with the grandmother squad and the granny squad. And he gets that, that like, Oh, the dimples. Dimpled okay. smile oh. to himself watching her. Oh my God. It's just so freaking sweet. I really love that. And then we got, we, we better understood why he was so grumpy with her at the beginning, but oh, just, I agree. There I are love so many dimples snippets. in this drama, everybody, oh, just so you oh, know, okay. like, like dimples yeah. upon dimples upon dimples. Yeah. So I actually just want to say one thing about Shin Mina. So this is my first drama with her. I absolutely love her. Like I can't, I have a crush on her. She's beautiful. She's freaking adorable. I loved her character. And I don't like really like to comment on, on women's bodies, but I just want to make a note that it felt seeing her on screen. I felt like there was a little bit more of a diversity in the shape of her body compared to some other 
dramas, you know, like we get, and there's nothing wrong with being skinny or not skinny, but it just, it was nice to see a little bit of a difference. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. And she still looked great running around the town in her (laughs) leggings and crop tops. She looked fantastic. But so I hope I said that in a respectful way, because I, like I said, don't like to comment on women's bodies, but there was definitely a difference than I think sometimes we get, especially if you like, remember Parkman Young in Healer. I mean, that yeah. She probably weighed well, 98 it, pounds. It was more in for me what's wrong with Secretary Kim, like all her pencil skirts. It was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us could get maybe one leg out. I'm like, can you breathe? Yeah. Did you get a rib removed? <laughs> she looked amazing in those yeah. pencil skirts, but right. I'm like, but I yes, could as, never. As a, <laughs> and she runs in heels as well because she probably weighs like, the, you know, like a feather. But I was going to say, as a, as a woman herself yeah. who has always been bigger up top, it's it's nice to see other women who have some figures you know it's it's seeing a little bit more of myself on the screen Mm -hmm. and and i appreciate that yeah i mean frankly she's curvy as heck and i mean just gorgeous i love her instagram just i've been following her now and she just posts i mean she's just stunning she's so stunning and her little dimples i can't i can't take it so I love her. And she gets to like kiss my bae, Kim Woo Bin, all the time. I know, right? Yeah. Funny, Kim Woo Bin. Yeah. For me, this is my second Shimina uh, drama. So my first was Oh My Venus, which is actually really personal to what you're saying, because in that, she, she she's a, she's in a fat suit for most of the, this is not a spoiler, she's in a fat suit for most of the first part of the drama. And I think for me, it's not one of my favorite dramas, I think partly because they don't manage the fat shaming that well so it's 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 interesting that you made that point actually Megan having not seen her my penis but it, so I think it's interesting that she's kind of represented this 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 view on on Korean's view of bodies and 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 what kind of figure that you should have um in another drama actually but yeah yeah I mean I just said like and like she worked it with her with her running crop tops I thought she looked great if I looked like that I would be running all over <laughs> so now we're going to uh get into our favorite segment of the week so this week we have something special sarah is actually going to give a k recommendation so take it away sarah so um originally i think we were going to have a megan k-pop rec and then i said like can i be really cheeky here and just milk my afternoon of fun girl experience by barging in to do my own k rec milk it so uh so here we go my first Korean love was actually not drama or K-pop, it was Korean food. So I spent a year in China as a student in the northern port city of Tianjin where they have a large indigenous Korean population. And I ate my body weight in bibimbap, in Korean barbecue, in kimbap. And as the summers are hot, every day I had nam yen, which are Korean cold noodles, which are just amazing. And, and London has some great Korean food, especially around Molden where the Samsung factory is. And um, that's where I kind of go for my Korean hit, but it's far away. So if I really want to eat my Korean food, I have to do it. Make, I have to make it myself. Uh, so my K-Rec is a food blog uh, called Korean Papsang, which is www.koreanpapsang.com. That's Papsang, B-A-P-S-A-N-G. And it's run by Hyosun. I hope I said your name right. She's a Korean-American mum of two. Uh, grown-up kids. I mean, man, her kids are so lucky, right? Because <laughs> she she cooks and has amazing food, and she does really easy to follow authentic Korean recipes. So she calls it like mum's, like Korean mum's cooking. 
Um, and then I looked at other but some means uh, a table setting for meals. So buck means rice and some means table. So it means where you lay out uh, rice and a main protein, a soup and a stew, and then lots of banchan on the side dishes. And of her recipes, I've done quite a lot of them, but I really heartily recommend her japchae. And this recipe is better than other Korean, like so many Korean restaurants I've been to, and it's seriously addictive. So her recipe actually makes a really generous quantity, um, but for two people that were a bit more kind of disciplined, you could then half that and have it for another day. But like me and my husband are just like, hey, and it's like massive. Um, and she also has kimchi jjigae, the bimbap, and she has a genius that's a folded kimbap. So you know like in Hila where the ajuma, uh, our hacking ajuma, she rolls her kimbap, but it's actually kind of complicated because you need a mat and everything. But in, in, in Korean bath, she has a, a folded kimbap where you actually just fold it into a square and it makes like a seaweed sandwich almost. Yeah, and you just fill it with like Ooh, spam or egg good. or tuna, whatever you want basically. She's got loads of ideas. And then she also blogs where she links K-dramas with the food. So she's got one on Itaewon class and she's just published a Chloe one. So where she takes us through the food of the K-drama. So in the Chloe one, she starts with Captain Marie's onion, which is the warm noodle soup, you know, that he makes from scratch for Suri at the start. And then for Squid Game fans, you could learn how to make your Chalcona, which is the sugar candy, and you can cut your own umbrella out of it. So it's all on her on her blog, and she's got YouTube videos. So it's that's www.koreanpapsan.com. So go forth and create great Korean food. That is amazing. We'll for sure put that in the show notes so you all can head on over to that blog because I know I'm going to like K drama themed like menus and stuff like that. Oh my gosh, it sounds amazing. I know. I kind of want to reach out to her and be like, "Do you want a guest on our <laughs> on our podcast?" Like, how cool would that be? And she could talk about the food. Like, I would be I would be really interested to hear what she says about Edwan class, because obviously there was a lot of cooking in there because Park So you wants to open a restaurant. That's the whole thing. So I'm I'm so interested now. And I feel like Sarah, you told me about her blog before and I didn't go because like, God knows why. But now I'm like, okay, yeah. Megan, get on it. Get like her, go because I can't I can go to the Korean restaurant that's like not really that close to me and I did before and the food's like yeah. amazing but it's just not convenient at all to like to go there you know what I mean yeah. I'd love to be I able to I'm hungry after hearing all that well, so. thing, I, follow, I follow her on Instagram and mm-hmm. that makes me so happy she's currently in LA at the moment this is so bad like we just know people's lives through their feeds but she's in LA <laughs> at the moment like eating her way through like uh, Koreatown and it's just like I have to not follow her sometimes when I'm really hungry because it's just full of food amazing. how fun does that sound Oh my gosh. Okay. And now we are going to get into the spoiler section of Hometown Cha Cha Cha. So if you haven't seen the drama and don't want to be spoiled, now's the time to turn it off. I think we gave you a lot of good recommendations. I mean, go go look at the blog we just mentioned if you need something to do. But if you have seen it or you don't mind being spoiled, then hang around and chat with us. So to start off, Uh, First question, so much of this drama, regardless of whose story is being told, seems to focus on the idea of whether or not one might be deserving of love. Which character struck a chord with you insofar as he or she wanting, but maybe not feeling they deserve love? Uh, So for me, definitely Dushik or Hong Bangjang. And this is where, like, I love the pacing of this drama. So at the start, I think Dushik is shown shown as um, the one who's whole, he's sorted, he has all the skills, he's chilled out, he's cheerful, he's come off this kind of more traditional path of success, you know, the white collar job, the big apartment, the nice car, 
and he's got this more kind of almost Buddhist holistic lifestyle going on, making his own candles and his own soap and brewing coffee uh, and only being paid a minimum wage and then living with and representing his neighbours as, as Chief Hong. Um, and then in comes Heishin, who's more uh, got to grow as this big city girl discovering small town living. But actually the best internal conflict in this is actually his journey, right? The journey for him to accept that he's deserving of love that he isn't the reason everyone died around him and that he doesn't need to be lonely all his life. And one of my absolute favourite lines in the drama is when Heijin's telling Yusun that she's actually going to propose to, to Hong Banjang. And, and the reason she says she wants to do it so soon is that she doesn't want him to be alone anymore. And they'd had a scene just previously where he'd been really missing her but eating his meals by himself. And uh, I, just, I just love a lonely man trope in romance. And, and for me, it's even more effective because from the start, he does not, he's not the lonely man, right? He doesn't come across as lonely man. He's not some beast locked up in his castle, licking his emotional wounds and being like really gnarly to anyone who dares knock on his door. He's, he's, it just flips that trope. It just says, actually, these guys could be, you could be a lonely person, but appear to, to be really sorted and, and, and be chilled and, and know what you want from life. I mean, it's so true. You can be, sometimes you can feel the loneliest in a crowded room. You know how they say that sometimes. You know, he is incredibly lonely, yet he's surrounded by people who love him, but he wasn't kind of willing to let that in and let that permeate. Kind of almost had like a shield up the whole time. And I will say that family, that line really struck a chord with me. And I think I love that it just felt incredibly mature because she wasn't like, I want to be a wife or I want him to be my husband, or I want a wedding, or anything like that. She said that she didn't want him to be alone, and that she wanted to be his family. The power of that of the word family in that context really stole my breath, and it made me respect Heijin so much, because it just, it just wasn't about the yeah. immediate joining. Like, she's like, I'm looking to the future. I want to, I want to create a family uh, with this man, I want to be his family. And I just, oh my God, I love that. Yeah. So I mean, I, I wrote this question with him in mind. I do think it applies to more than just him, but this truly is his journey. I mean, she's got her hangups about love as well, having lost her mother and her father remarrying. And, you know, it takes her time to come to terms with that. And this idea that he was deserving of love again after losing his wife, that he could love his wife, lose her and then find love again. And then her being okay with that. There's a lot going on there, but I love Sarah, that you brought up the sort of bait and switch that we get with Dushik, that he seems whole and complete and like he has it all together. But what we learn is that he wears his persona as a mask and that even though he is beloved by all, he has been living a life of service, a sort of a penance because he feels responsible for his friend's death, for the death of his, not the death, the almost death, the, the attempted suicide of his, of his client when he used to work in investing. You know, he lost his grandfather. So I love that we get to see him going to therapy, like hooray for mental health rep in this drama, but that it's not just his therapist alone who helps him, but it's also the people of Gongjin, of Heijin especially, who loves him despite what he thinks is this horrible thing that he's done. When really he's just human and bad things happen and we have to be able to forgive ourselves for the bad things that happened in whatever role we played with them or whatever role we played in them. And I just love that he finally is ready to tell her his story and he tells her his story and she doesn't, you know, like freak out and leave. And she's like, pulls him to her and is like, you know, it's okay. Like, it's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to let me see you in this other way. And that was just so powerful and something that I think a lot of us need to see is this idea that 
being vulnerable isn't a weakness. It actually shows more strength than, than we know it does, than we feel like it does. And he takes him a long time to learn that, but he does learn it. So Heijin and Dusik, their lives crossed paths when they were kids. Dusik's grandpa taking a family photo of Heijin, her father, and her dying mother while young Dusik tries to make her laugh. And again as teens, when a runaway Heijin doesn't have enough money to pay for a single serving carton of milk, and teen Dusik tosses some extra change on the counter to cover the difference. Cue Kevin McAllister slapping his cheeks in the bathroom mirror. <laughs> Sorry, folks, the holiday season is upon us and a home loan viewing is probably not too far in our future. When this plot device came up in the first drama I watched, Cloy, I was blown away by the faded mates aspect of the story. But alas, I realized this happens more times than not in K-dramas. So do you still love it or do you want to leave it? So I think for me, fate or like in Cantonese, we call it yun fun um, because it actually encompasses a slightly different meaning I think in Asian languages and I think just the pure English concept of fate or destiny because it's slightly I think tied up with the Buddhist thinking of multiple lives and fate crossing across lifetimes but it's a massive major trope for Asian drama so I'm probably a bit over it because I've had a lifetime of Asian dramas with fate and I'd rather maybe they just stick to one so maybe just have the beach photo where he's the prince that made her laugh um, I perhaps didn't need the money for the milk, although I guess we did get a glimpse of the more miserable, decidedly not very cheerful uh, Chief Hong. But I definitely didn't need the suicide rescue attempt thing where she's the one who called the ambulance. I think by that time I'm I'm really like, um, yeah. But then I'm not the domestic audience, so maybe it's more of a thing for them and uh, they expect to see it in their K-dramas, but I'm a bit, a bit, I'm a bit over it now. You know what? I actually, in when I was like thinking of the answer to this, I totally even forgot so about I, the, like, the bridge it. thing, the suicide attempt. When she, oh my god, you're right! Like how many little coincidences? Goodness. So, I, you know, when I first started watching K dramas, I loved the meeting as kids thing. It was definitely at, like a novelty for for me. I would say. But I, I admit I'm kind of starting to be over it a little bit. It doesn't ruin a drama for me or anything. I sort of chuckle when the plot line comes up and maybe roll my eyes. I, I would say this one felt a whole lot unnecessary. I kind of agree, like, just the picture thing would have been fine. Like, that that would have been cute. But yeah, it just felt a little unnecessary. I would say, unlike Lawless Lawyer, which their connection as kids is like a massive part of the external plot. Even what's wrong with Secretary Kim, too. So Yeah, I mean... I, I agree that I love this in Crash Landing on You and still do because the times that, you know, Yunsuri and Captain Ree crossed paths earlier in life, and it, they were as young adults, not even as kids. It was pivotal moments for both of them. And I don't think it was necessary in this drama. And especially, I think it was evidenced in how they reacted to it. They were just like, oh, but it was kind of like a mad reaction yeah. even from the characters themselves, which made it really fall kind of flat for me too. So yeah, I like the idea of him being, you know, the the prince, you know, in the in the beach picture. But everything else was just like it was it felt kind of piled on. I'm not saying I don't like this in a K drama. I do think it's a, a pretty cool trope and I do like the idea of the sort of faded mates, but I think it has to serve the story for me to connect with it emotionally. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that their reaction was a bit meh. Yeah, it was a bit like, oh yeah, that's that trope. <laughs> that was even, right, right. Yeah, oh, like, oh, okay. Yep. All right, we shoehorned that one in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they made us, they made us, they put it in the script and we have to react like to it, I guess, you know. It's like, it's like, it's like TPD uh, and the uh, Hongbang Dan eating Domino's pizza. It's like, yeah, we have to do this, like, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we have to say, mmm. <laughs> 
Okay, wait, actually, before I do want to talk about that Domino's product placement in episode 16, I have to admit that was my favorite product placement in any drama. And I know it was ridiculous because I felt like the whole thing was improv. Okay. I really felt like they were just like, okay, eat this pizza. You know, it's the product placement. And the guys just like kind of oh, went yeah. all for it. You know what I mean? They're like giggling. There's like this giggling montage over this pizza. And like, it, it almost just felt like they just were like, it's the end of the drama. We're just going to be silly. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing felt kind of wholesome. And it made me a little bitter because the Domino's app does not work for me. I don't know. I think because I'm in like a new development and it won't work for me. And I'm really bitter because I just want the stuffed cheesy bread, which is very good. And <laughs> But anyway, I think it is super funny to wait until the last episode and then like shoehorn in that product placement. Oh. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> totally. And have yeah. it be like a solid minute. It was so long. And again, it was like a montage. Like there was like slow-mo of them eating. It was just so funny. In preparation for this podcast, I've been watching quite a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and the interviews. And I think the two actors really get on together. They had like a really fun romance thing going on. Uh, And they do do a lot of ad-libbing. So I wouldn't be surprised if in that scene, they really are just kind of taking the pee a little bit, you know, with the whole where script said enjoy this pizza. So they're like, okay, let's enjoy this pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so funny because I, I actually okay. felt like they had amazing yes. chemistry. Those uh Dusik and PPD, it's they they had they had great chemistry. So I I love them a lot. Gongjin is more than just a small town, it's a family. Many, if not most, characters in hometown Cha 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 deal with loss and are able to heal once they allow themselves to lean on their found family. This is true for widower and coffee shop bar owner O Chun Jae or town gossip and grieving mother Jo Nam Suk for our favorite granny Kim Gamri, who dotes on Dusik while missing the family who never comes to visit for divorced couple Hua Jiang and Yang Guk and the woman Yu Cho Hui who came between them for our heroine Hei Jin who is estranged from her father and stepmother and finally our hero Dusik who bears the guilt of a good friend's death and a former client's attempted suicide which of these wounded characters resonated with you the most? And how do you feel about the way their story turned out? And thank you for suffering through me while I try to pronounce some of those names. I tried my best. Okay. Thank you for being understanding listeners and fellow podcast hosts. <laughs> uh, so she's only a small part, but my own personal phrase, um, uh, court lady Choi from Mr. Queen. She was Nansong, Nansukin as a busy Ajuma role. I think she really rocked those neon outfits that she had. But she just had a really, that, that whole small, really small scene. She just really stole my heart in when she lost her daughter. And and we fleshed out a little bit more about why she was all over other people's business and kind of like her her path to, to, to recovering from grief. And I've only just seen another drama, which I'm not going to say because I don't want to spoil it, where this has happened to her too. And I just want her to have a daughter that lives. So I like that the show hinted that she was kind of there as a surrogate mother for Jury, uh, the coffee owner's daughter, and obviously just teen girls going through kind of teenage years without a, a mother figure also kind of tugs at my heart. So if anything, I wanted a little bit more of her arc. Uh, but she is, for me as an actress, one of my personal friends. I just love her and everything. Oh, I do. I lo- like, as soon as I saw her, I was like, I wanted to hear her go, Mama! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think I saw someone say on Twitter that they maybe Twitter or maybe it was some sort of review somewhere that they thought that the actress overacted in this role and that bothered them. And so they disliked it. And I have to say that she did overact 
but that to me felt very intentional. She talked more, she gesticulated more, she did everything a whole lot more because the woman was like still grieving. And I think any of us knows what it's like when you have to smile when you feel like you're dying inside. So any sort of trauma, but you have to kind of put on a brave face. Well, you overdo it because you're faking it. <laughs> and that's the way her character felt to me when we learned her truth. So yeah, she was kind of annoying at the beginning of the drama. But once I learned, you know, about the past with, with her child, you know, she had my whole heart and sympathy. And then her actions made total sense. And as far as the rest of the, the side characters, I want to say it is kind of interesting because I really love that you had like a couple who were divorced and completely separated. And then you go on the journey of them kind of rediscovering or finding like new respect for each other. And then I love that you had the married husband and his and his pregnant wife and how they had like some issues and you got to see them work through that with communication. That felt very real to me. That whole um, storyline where, you know, she's pregnant, she's frustrated. She just wants a little bit of compassion and help from her husband and just all of that. I just I really loved the side characters because they felt influenced by Heijin and, and, and Dusik. Um, as Amy, as you said, it was, it seemed like their romance kind of influenced everyone else in a, in a positive way. Yeah. We had so much good representation of different kinds of relationships here. And I, I love that you bring up, you know, Chunghua and people thinking that she overacted, but like when you're covering that kind of a grief, a grief that like, I cannot even imagine you absolutely overdo it. Just like Jushik seems way too happy go lucky in the beginning it's a mask. We all have them. And I think the deeper the hurt, the more pronounced the mask. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that what I do love with our divorced couple, Hua Zhang and Young Guk, and how like for them, and we get to go back and see it. And it's all about like miscommunication and, you know, being afraid to be vulnerable. Like when she overhears him talking about, you know, why he married her when he's drunk and Instead of just asking him about it, she basically like throws him out and it has this whole sort of ripple effect. And when you sort of get the whole story, you realize these, you know, these small hurts that grow into these, you know, big problems that could be patched up just with a little bit of communication. And I also thought like, though it was small and subtle, that I love that we threw in some lesbian rap with Cho Hui being, you know, in love with Hua Zhang rather than Young Guk. And that we get to have that little like unrequited love and that she's just like, you know, just so you know, it was you that I was in love with and not your husband, you know, when they were all three friends. And it was just, we just had so much going on and every sort of like every type of representation of a relationship, whether it was being widowed or, you know, losing, you know, losing somebody close to you, um, divorce and reconciliation, like just so much going on. And like you said, like all of it sort of being a ripple effect from uh, Heijin and Dushik's relationship and, and this idea of this town as a family. And I just absolutely adored it. Yeah, totally agree. I, I love Cho Hui and I hope she finds some wonderful love and has a great life because she is so yeah. sweet. And even that like tiny scene where her mom is just basically like, it's happening again. Uh, I just, oh, I was like, oh, like her parents. Yeah. But I know. I like, don't, right. don't shame her. Like I wanted to protect yeah. her. I wanted to give her a yeah. big hug and exactly. like, you know, so as if Dusik hadn't lost enough, the drama went and killed off Gamri. Okay, fine. She went peacefully in her sleep, but why? And thoughts on losing our beloved granny. 
so first I sort of saw Gamry's death coming when she was kind of having that heart to heart with her friends. And I was thinking to myself, no, do not do this. Do not do this to me. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> please. And then they did. And I swear I hollered out loud. Like I was like, no, you gotta be kidding me. Like I was so mad. I was so mad. And then I cried for the next two episodes. So at first I was, I was really angry. I will say I was actually a little mad at the drama. Cause I was like, now this feels overkill. But, so this is my but, then I understood writing and characterization-wise why they did. And then I wasn't mad anymore. Because how we saw Dusik deal with her death was huge to his arc. And um, I could see why, like for characterization purposes and everything, that they decided to do that. And I don't, because I also don't like, like, you kill off a character just to, like, make another character show his strength. But I didn't... They gave so much respect to her throughout this whole drama and really showed her living this full happy life where she impacted so many lives that it didn't feel kind of like this like token death. Do you know what I'm saying? So in the end, I really, I really liked it. I think it's just, I was really exhausted. Emotionally, Okay, from like crying. I was emotionally exhausted. That was the deal. And then they did that. And I was like, I am tired of crying. My pillow is soaked. My hair is wet. Like I was just over it. But but then I loved it because I really loved how Heijin had to support him through it. And she had to like actually call him out on the fact that he wasn't doing proper grieving. And like learning how to grieve is, is pretty important. And she kind of almost had to like teach him how. So that's how I felt about it. So I had mixed feelings, but in the yeah, end, I mean, I was it happy. hit me hard as a mom, um, especially when you saw when her son was at, you know, came to her her memorial, and he hadn't been there, and he w- felt guilty for not having been there. And I wanted to give him like a good smack because don't forget your mom, kiddos. But also from Dushek's perspective, I was devastated. But it also reinforced the idea of found family. And I loved Hajin, like you brought up earlier, Megan, saying that she wanted to be his family now. And that earlier when he lost his grandfather, when he lost his best friend, when, you know, when all this tragedy kind of struck, he wasn't open to letting other people support him. So it does show his growth. But it was, I mean, it, it was a very sad thing to chuck in at the end of the drama. But I do see the necessity, like it's not gratuitous. I do see the necessity of it, but I, I didn't, I didn't right. enjoy it. I did Correct. not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, so I normally, I normally I'd be with you guys. I think I don't like characters being killed off, especially as Megan says, um, when they seem to be there to serve like another character's art. But I kind of, I kind of liked it in this drama, actually. I think, I think partly the drama needed some sour notes because for me it was in, perhaps in danger of being, becoming a little bit too sweet and light. And I think they just handled the whole thing just beautifully. And also to throw in kind of a weird kind of comparison, but I felt like she was like the wise character, like the wise older character in all of this drama. And she's a bit, okay, this is the random. So like in Kung Fu Panda, where Shifu, who's like the master, kind of passes away. You know, I felt like she did it in the same way. So like she gave him her wisdom, she showed him the path, and then she left to do it. I mean, I I did cry. I cried cried straight for episodes 14 and 15. And her letter to Dushik that was in the corn, oh, so beautifully narrated by Harmony. And and how it then allowed, you know, like you guys said, his healing and his character growth, that she he could properly grieve, properly mourn, um, and know that um he wasn't to blame for somebody leaving his life and all with 
Cajun fire side. So I think they did it. They did it really well. But it did, yeah, absolutely add to the to the rivers of tears I had at the end of this romance. I cried so much, I so know. much. But you know, and you're right though. I mean, and even like the way she died was so respectful to her, and she died kind of like happy in a I... sleepover with her friends, like. And she kind of had said, like, you know, every day is great, but she also had led, you know, a really wonderful life. But I think you're right. I think the show did a really good job showing that she was, like, leaving a legacy in her wake, which, you know, I would think that that would be kind of what we all kind of want and like a like a positive legacy. Uh, So I inserted a couple of questions as I carried on milking my experience here. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what was your favorite side romance or side couple in, in this whole drama? Uh, mine was Misun and her slightly dorky policeman boyfriend, Yinchul. I mean, I love her character anyway. I thought she was a great foil to Heijin. But I always adore a slightly dorky guy who takes everything literally. He reminded me a little bit of, the, of, of Lee Don Walk's lawyer in Touch Your Heart. But I also love how she pushes their relationship forward with the help of the rotisserie chicken guy. I love that scene. And then she shows him how it doesn't need to be um, about handbags and cons because he's he's going on blogs and looking up how to be obviously the perfect boyfriend. And uh, and I think that some guys who maybe are a little bit inexperienced think that there's some kind of manual to how you should date somebody and and tick off all these lists. And I think even more in Asian culture because we're you know there's an element of like everybody does the same thing you travel the same path and uh, and he was obviously kind of ticking off the boxes and and she was just like oh, this is not really authentically us um so I really love that but I think that the one side couple that probably deserved a little bit better was the director and the writer I think that um their resolution seems a bit of a damp squid for me um because I felt like she'd been suffering this kind of unrequited love for the whole of the drama like the whole of the drama and yeah. then resolve it in 16 with this kind of conversation where he goes hey let's do a show about two people that work together and discover their feelings right it's kind of like (laughs) um, i wanted a bit more i wanted a bit more yeah i agree that was definitely thrown in i agree and that that whole like they didn't really have a lot of on-screen chemistry either to me so i was kind of like uh, but i mean whatever you know i guess i guess they're happy I'll try to pretend like they are. But I have to agree about me, son, and Unchul. Oh my God. I love them so much. I actually probably would have watched a whole drama just on them, truly. I loved how she just was, she was so refreshing. She was such an honest, she was such an honest person, um, mostly. And I, I love that about her. And I, and one thing I thought was interesting is like there, like you kind of mentioned, there were like these Korean dating conventions that I am not familiar with. So that was also kind of interesting, like the whole thing where he bought her shoes, but then he has to ask for money. There is some sort of like luck thing involved there, I, I guess. I then like looked at now I forget, of course, but I looked it up afterwards and I found that all, that all really interesting. So I thought that was kind of cool. He was just this like old fashioned kind of guy. And and I and I loved it. And that whole like thing where she thinks he's like <laughs> selling illegal weapons. <laughs> she like she like goes to spy on him and she's just she was just so cute and i always loved how she like always had bathroom problems right he's catching her at the pharmacy getting diarrhea medicine <laughs> like, like i feel like i'm like do you have irritable bowel syndrome like i was worried about her she was so cute she was so cute and he was just adorable with his like yeah. extremely was, dorky and haircut. like she's i love how she is strong and assertive and she just comes out and says how she feels and yes she is humiliated when he doesn't return the affection but it we learn later it's because he's trying to like 
go by the proper pacing and play by the proper rules. And then like, just to like skewer in there that he is the mysterious lottery winner. And he's basically given all the money to charity. Mm -hmm. He's like, I hope you don't mind. I'm not actually rich. Like just so precious. Dorky, adorable. Like they were such a great side couple. Mm -hmm. And yes, like going with, you know, like the, the director and his, you know, and his, what was she, the producer or whatever, you knew that was happening. Like you knew that that was going to be who ended up together the whole way through yeah. as far as like side couples. But yeah, they, they shoehorned it in at the end rather than give them time to have some chemistry. And I was a little bummed about that, but yeah, I did love Unchol and Nissan. They were absolutely adorable. And yeah, I would watch a whole drama with them. They were, they were so much fun. Yeah. And I also like, I, I really liked when he said, I'm going to skip a couple of bases here and then leaned in. I was like, Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> He did. He initiates the kiss. Like, yeah, awesome. skip those yes. faces. Oh, I love them. Oh, um, so cute. So there are some classic rom-com tropes here, as well as reversed rom-com tropes. Which ones did you like? Um, I'll start with mine, which did make me really laugh, which is the scene uh, when they go to Seoul for a date or date. Um, and Hong Wang Dang is trying out outfits in the store for Heijin to admire. Um, and I just love that they actually referenced it, obviously, about the reverse pretty woman reference. Um, and then he's in his mesh vest and she's like looking under his light. I just love that scene. I thought it was so funny. I will always love a good makeover scene. It's truly one of my one of my favorites, especially when it's reverse and it's, and it's the man. It's just so much fun. And so much of that scene felt really authentic yeah. and kind of like improv And they just the, the leads just had such amazing chemistry that I think is ultimately what really sold this drama and why so many people loved it because they just they were so fantastic together so yeah i just need a second that i agree that was a great scene and truly one of my favorites as well like when it comes to like oh, the yeah. i'm tropes. always here for a good glow up and my favorite is still captain Ree in south korea in uh in crash landing on you because i mean come on hyunbin is a beautiful man regardless of what he looks like but then put him in the, you know, the hair up and in a suit and a long coat and I'm a goner. Yeah, the makeovers are always the best. And Hometown Cha Cha Cha, I also loved sort of the Cinderella shoe parallels that I brought up earlier. Like I love that Heijin bought her own shoes, but then lost it and her, you know, quote unquote prince found it. And she does, you know, he is the prince from her childhood. But I also love that she bought him new shoes to show that she wanted them to live together. And for there to be two shoes, you know, two pairs of shoes inside the doorway. And the female proposal, come on, like, I love like so many great reversals here that were done so, so well. Loved it so much. I I love that proposal scene as well, because then she delivers that and he goes, Annie, like, no. I didn't didn't script for you to say no. It was so good. Oh, I loved it so much. So let's end this thing on a high note, a romance note. What is your favorite romantic moment from Hometown Cha Cha Cha? So for me, I love when a drama shows me lovey-dovey moments of them being in a couple. Because sometimes I think K-dramas spend a lot of time getting building up to the couple getting together and then they throw a conflict at them before they've even had time to be a couple so we don't get enough of them enjoying being a couple so for me the overall enjoyment of these two being lovey-dovey their dimple kisses their couples yoga the way that oh Kim Sin Ho plays Hong Bang Dan looking at Hei Jin just he has his whole melty eyes thing right he he can rival um Ji Chang Wok in that kind of category I think 
But possibly my favourite scene is when she rings him after they've decided to get together and he says that he likes her as much as Lake Baikal, but she doesn't know her knowledge. <laughs> she doesn't know what Lake Baikal is. She says, look up Lake Baikal and see how big and deep it is. And then there's a shot of her legs and she's moving them on the bed in excitement because she's just like just so tickled by the fact that he really likes her. And then he's got there, sat there with a big goofy dimpled grim on his face that, yeah, that they're sharing this like, oh, wow, like we're together now. So it's not a pivotal moment at all, but it really made my my heart glow. I'm going to like second what I already brought up, which is like the double proposal. Like I just, I love that. And I love how, how put off he was because She's like, you know, I want to marry you. And he's like, he's honey, like, because he's like, what am I going to do? I was about to propose to you. And now she's like, well, you know, you can do it. Like, this was just the practice. Like, you can do it now. <laughs> and it was just so funny, like how disappointed he was that she sort of stole her, you know, stole his thunder. But then, of course, you know, he comes around to it. And they're just, I mean, they just compliment each other so well. I, I absolutely adored that scene. So final thoughts, you must get off your chest. What about do six surfing where there are no waves? We threw that in for Leah. She would want to so say I that. live in a landlocked county in the UK and I didn't notice about the waves either. <laughs> I just was quite enjoying seeing her in a wetsuit, really, to be honest, rather than noticing waves. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think pacing, when they got together in episode 11, I thought, oh no, what are we going to have, five? episodes of filler but um no like have faith in those writers they knew exactly what they were doing and they really packed some emotional punches in those last few episodes and I had been catching up I remember saying to Megan like um if I start watching now am I going to get to the point when um when the finale she's like yeah now's a good time to start it and then uh, and I had started it and then I had to wait for the last two to drop so I kind of had a semi-live experience and I was like "Mm -hmm." this feels like this is what I was trying to avoid because I was trying to you know I wanted to binge them all but I just I especially love the scene where Heijin is asking Hong Bang Jan where he's gone uh, and that he she feels like he's more distant than ever and he's changed and we see this kind of less sunny side of him um, that just really got got to me and because uh, I felt like she had kind of she was saying you know she she was like the hedgehog right at the start she was prickly and then she'd kind of dropped all of that and shown her her real self and then he hadn't given it back and uh, yeah we just thought oh there's so much more going on on underneath um so that was really really powerful I thought yeah I actually just want to kind of echo about pacing if that's okay so as I said before I felt like the drama was like unabashedly a romance and so around like episode I guess it was like 13 or 14 or something like that there was definitely an extended fun and games beat as we refer to it in romance so that's like when a couple has decided to be together and everything seems happy and good but there are definitely like hints of trouble brewing on on the horizon during during the what we call the fun and games beat it's right before the black moment as we call it or like the climax which basically is when the shit hits the fan so this drama had like a full episode, maybe an episode and a half of the fun and games beat. And I saw some comments online that they said they found this boring, which really horrified me. I'm really sorry. I kind of, the romance writer in me really gasped at that because the fun and games beat in a romance is so freaking important. And Sarah, you said it. You're like, I don't like when the couple gets together and then immediately there's a conflict. I agree. So part of the importance of the fun and games beat is to show, will show how and why they can get through that coming conflict. The fun and games beat is where they learn about each other and they also decide that they're worth fighting for. Like sometimes when, in my opinion, when you have a romance, 
they just get together and then they have this conflict thrown at them. Sometimes I'm like, well, but you haven't really shown me why they even need to get through this conflict. Like, are they really meant to be together? And so I think that's what's so important about the fun and games beat. And especially in this drama, because I think that beat in this drama really showed us that they are an amazing couple and they really do complete each other. They make each other happy. They make each other better versions of themselves. And that's why when the black Mm -hmm. moment hit, which was, huge i mean i have to admit like when the climax hit it was really big that i felt like they could and they should get through it because we were shown how great of a couple they could be that's the romance writer in me getting into that yeah it is so important i adored it i thought shinmana was the cutest little thing we got to see a woman asking for sex so she didn't have to go be part of the town cleanup Trying to tempt, trying to tempt your chick back into bed. And he's like, nope, come yeah. on, we got to go. Breakfast is over. Like he makes her breakfast in bed and then is like, come on, we got to go clean up. They're so cute. So anyway, that's, that's just all I wanted to add about, about pacing. Cause I agree. The, the pacing was good and um, their little romantic moments are great. So I have to have some Kim Sun Ho love uh, in this bit of the podcast, I think as well, because um, I just really fell for him in this and then I watched Startup after this and I found it so frustrating but the second male lead SOS did help so thanks for that Leah um check that podcast out if you haven't uh, <laughs> listened to it yet um so I can totally see after watching a Startup why lots of people considered this his kind of happy ever after story but just most especially in those backstory those tears like his tears had me in tears and like Korean male actors are so amazing at crying and I think for me, there's such stiff competition for this, you know, with Kim Sun Ho and uh, Lee Dong Wook, I think for me are the two main ones. But he is up there with the best of me on this. Yeah, so we are moving on to the romance book recommendation of our podcast. And we are going to throw it to Sarah, our guest, to give you all a book rec. Yay, I'm crashing the book rec too. <laughs> I know you guys are not big on historical romance or historical K-drama fans, so I feel like I'm here to represent historical romance, which is my original. Leah is, so Leah's, Leah is there for you. Yeah. She's just not here tonight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Leah's really happy so with you right original, now. it's my original and still my favourite category of romance to read. Um, so the ultimate small town, quirky character-filled romance is Tessa Dare's Spindle Co. series. And they're all excellent books. I'd really recommend all of them. And um, if you'd like to read in order, the first is A Night to Surrender. But my own personal fave, and it's in my top 10 favorite books, favorite romance books ever, is A Week to be Wicked, which is has one of the best rakes ever written. It's Colin, Lord Payne, and this brilliant, geeky, less attractive than her book, beautiful sister heroine, Minerva Highwood, who is this determined early paleontologist who has to get her fossil from Spindle Cove all the way up to Scotland and this book has it all all of our favorite tropes the inn with only one bed the fake relationship the reformed rake and the way wallflower uh, and lots of Tessa's really sparkling amazing funny dialogue so I hard recommend this um if you haven't I mean if you're a historical romance fan you'd have already read this series because it's like a seminal Series. Oh, Leah, uh, Leah loves this series. This Leah series. absolutely loves this series. And I she, series. so she will be so happy that you, you brought this up. Also, I just want to say the only one bed trope, my favorite. Absolutely. My favorite. There's nothing better than, oh no, there's only one bed. And then there's like sexual tension for the next like 30 pages. It's my favorite. And what's everybody watching right now? So just me, I finished one spring night i absolutely loved it i would hard recommend it for anyone 
who has, as we've been talking about in this podcast, want just a drama that's all about romance, because this is all about romance with lots of internal conflict, barely any external. It stars Jung Hae-in, who I'm totally in um, um, Instagram kind of stalking mode in. Uh, he was just in DP, which apparently is really good, but it's, I haven't watched it, but it's on my uh, watch list. And he's about to be in Snowdrop with Blackpink's Jisoo. He's so good in this drama in One Spring Night. He also, I've just randomly realised, because uh, he's in a really small role in the drama that I'm actually watching now, which is Prison Playbook. Um, and Prison Playbook is the two main characters are uh, played by Park Hae-soo, who played Sang-woo in Squid Game. And Jung Kun Cho, who plays one of my favourite doctors ever, who's Jung Wan from Hospital Playlist. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it so far. So this is the writer PD team for Hospital Playlist, for uh, the Reply series, which I haven't write, uh, watched yet, despite Leah's like, fangirling of it. But it's got real, like, the tr- all that trademark humour from, from Hospital Playlist is, is in here, even though it's a prison drama. So I put off watching this for so long because it was a prison drama, but um, it's I'm really enjoying it. I want to watch that. And also, well, to lead in, I love Dr. John Wan. So I am watching Hospital Playlist right now. I'm almost finished. So I'm on like, I have like three more episodes in season two. But they're like two hours long. So I'll see you next week. But that's beside the point. But I'm really, really enjoying it. I have a lot coming up, though. I will say we just got a message from a listener who, like, I can't thank you enough. So basically, she was like, uh, there's a new drama out that has a romance with a zombie apocalypse. And I was like, uh, and they were basically like, this is up your alley. And I was like, uh, you're the best ever for like thinking of me. So I, it's called Happiness, and I remember seeing, because Park Hyung-sik is in it, and yeah. I think he only recently came back from the military. And so I, I remember like seeing the name of the drama, but I did not know the premise yet. Sometimes when a drama has like not even aired, it's like I don't even have mental space to like figure out what it is yet, because I have so many others. But anyway, I think I might watch that live, like as it's airing. So uh, yeah, so I, and, and then I still have to watch my name, because... On Bo Hyun, I mean. Right. And so I think those are what, what's up right now. But I'm really enjoying Hospital Playlist. And we're doing, I think, like a two-parter yeah, a two on that. coming up. episodes. We have to. We have to. Yeah. And Leah, like, I mean, it's like one of her top dramas. She loves it so much. She, she's very excited. Because we were, like, working on the schedule. And she was like, well, I mean, I guess you two could do Hospital we Playlist were like, without me. No. And Amy and I were like, no, Leah. Absolutely not. We no. would never, ever do that to her. Yeah. That's a crime. So anyway, that's what I'm watching. And uh, so if y'all can hear what I sound like right now, I feel about as crappy as I sound. And we are one of our one of our upcoming episodes that we're going to record, which won't air until towards the end of the year. But we are going to be doing some rewatching and some reactions to rewatching of our favorite dramas. And so my rewatch was always going to be Goblin. And last night I was sitting on my couch just feeling like, complete and utter crap. And I was like, I just, I need some comfort and I need to feel good. And I watched the first episode of Goblin and I don't know if you could say that I felt good. It was, it was definitely my comfort drama, but it's like, as soon as the opening song for the you know original soundtrack starts, I almost want to burst into tears. Like I'm so triggered emotionally by the music in this drama in a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful way. And I just, I mean, like Gong Yu is it for me. And, you know, he's going to meet me someday and realize that I am 
his long lost faded mate and he's going to make me the goblin's bride and that's all there is to it so yeah so i'm rewatching goblin and i will be watching some more of it tonight. Nice. yay well sarah is there anything else you'd, you'd like to say before we, we close this one out i mean we just want to say on behalf of us we're, we're we were this was extremely fun i really enjoyed talking with you i always love your perspective so thank you for for joining us for sure this is wonderful. You're a great podcaster. Oh, so you. thanks so I, much for joining us. I just us. loved it. I was so excited. Uh, when I saw that I won, I squealed. And then and then my husband was like, what's going on? What's going on? And I told him. He's like, right, okay. Yeah, that's that weird. No. No, no. <laughs> and thank you for staying up, for staying up so late to do this, because it is well past midnight by you now. It is well past. It's nearly half one here in the UK. Oh, my and goodness. I've, I've absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me talk about a drama that I love so much. And, yeah, keep going, guys, because um, we need to hear more. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. And so we Fighting. always wrap it up by yeah. waving to everybody and yeah. saying... Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!